podcast where we talk trash about the things people love to hate and hate to love. And we're your hosts, Shelby and Matt. Hello. 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 <laughs> Welcome back. How are yeah, you? I'm, I'm good. But how are you doing? There's no like accent to mimic. No like character choice to highlight in your intro. Like what does that feel like right now? I would like to say something at the top of this podcast. Uh, oh. A prepared statement, if you will. That... <laughs> I watched the seven episodes of The Queen's Gambit over the course of the week that the presidential election was taking place. (laughs) And for many of the hours of The Queen's Gambit, I was simultaneously watching and on my phone. So uh... (laughs) if there are things that I do not remember or get wrong or details that I have, uh, you know, just completely forgotten... That is because of the election, and please, you know, just, like, bear with me as I remember very little of what happened in this series. So, what you're saying is you paid more attention to Hubie Halloween than the Queen's Gambit. I paid more attention to Hubie Halloween. I paid more attention to uh, Emily in Paris. I paid more attention to our podcast about Wrong Missy. Yes. Than you did. Yeah. For this I one. did. I did. And we already had to, you know, give our fans one of the messiest pop culture <laughs> roundups this week. <laughs> and now you're telling them that you're phoning it in on the Queen's Gambit? I'm trying, but I'm just saying that it's possible there could be errors. Okay. Okay. Well, luckily for you, I decided to do the responsible thing and binge watch this over the last 24 hours. So it is very fresh in my mind. You weren't watching an episode while crying on uh, Wednesday morning? That wasn't something you were doing? No, it was not. I, I recognized that my mind was elsewhere and I thought... But my podcast deserves more than this. And I saved it. And so here we are. Well, you know, you're going to then I'm going to give you the weight. Yeah. You can you can carry this episode on your back, Shelby. And I'll chime in and say, who, who, who was who was that yeah. again? Remind yeah. me. Well, you know, as I was watching it, I was like, you know what? This is very different from Emily in Paris. So I'm sure Matt hated it. And um, I guess in some ways I was uh, correct. You know, I have a hard time really gauging <laughs> on whether or not I lo- liked The Queen's Gambit. So The Queen's Gambit is a Netflix uh, miniseries. It's not, I don't, there's not going to be more seasons of it. It was seven episodes. It starred uh, Anya Taylor-Joy and is basically the story of her growing up from being a young girl in an orphanage to becoming like a grand master of chess and just like her progression as a chess player, but also growing up and dealing with the loss of her parents and you know such and such and such um i'm proud of you for knowing that uh, well you know i did read the wikipedia page i (laughs) i went back and read the episode's summaries and was like like, wait what game was she playing like yes was this checkers yeah she was really good at poker (laughs) possibly uh no she's she's good at chess i did remember that Overall, I I did not hate the show. I did not love the show. I I th- sort of thought that it was a little bit I I don't know, like it was well done, but I uh, this show got so much praise and so much hype and 
has been the number one show on Netflix for so for several weeks now, I think. And mm-hmm. I thought it was going to have more sort of intrigue to it. And it was sort of just a, a fairly straightforward story that I thought was a little bit stretched out. But that being said, I was also not like sitting there fully invested <laughs> as I should have been. So... I mean, yeah, can this is a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I, I know it's number one position, which I on was Netflix. surprised by. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> Maybe the mail-in yeah, reviews yeah. have not arrived yet, oh, and they'll right. be coming at a later day to yeah, be counted. Yeah. This could be changing any moment now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I liked it. I think it's interesting that you didn't, because to me. Like, uh, like, cause I, I've talked to some friends, a lot of my family has watched it, which doesn't always happen because, you know, we cover a lot of dumb stuff on this show. And most of the time they're like, yeah, I did not tune into Hubie Halloween. So I'm skipping that episode. Rude. But they were very, I got a lot of texts that were like, are you guys covering Queen's Gambit? Because I loved it. And that was from like all sorts of people. And I thought maybe you would like this because it did feel more like in line with a mini series, like, or a TV show, like, um. Is it called The Queen or what's the one about? The Crown. The Crown. Yeah. Where it's like very character centric and Mm -hmm. not like a ton of, you know, drama. Not like a ton Mm -hmm. of action. Like this is very much a character driven limited series. And I think that's rare to find these days when you have things like The Watchmen, uh, Little Fires Everywhere, Big Little Lies, where it's all about sort of the there's a there's a tension there's a there's a lot of drama there's action there's a whole world of uh messiness to explore whereas this Mm -hmm. is very much about the chess prodigy beth Harmon and sort of her struggle with alcoholism and um addiction as she tries to fill her life with this passion for chess and so yeah on the surface level, it sounds pretty dull and kind of like, okay, we're going to care about chess for six hours and 31 minutes. Like, I don't think so. But I think it ended up working because they really allowed it to breathe and let it just be about this character instead of adding like a bunch of twists or they could have gone a more, not explicit route, I guess, but more edgy like you know a lot of scenes of binges and and (laughs) high moments and low moments but instead it was really just a girl in her chessboard and I I found it very good and as it continued I was like really surprised by how much I cared about her as a character her friendships and the different other side characters and then how it all culminated I was like how am I on the edge of my seat with a dumb chess game that I kind of know is going to end one way just because of the formulaic nature of stories like this. And so I was overall impressed that they managed to pull that off because I think it was a tough sell. It's, it's a very interesting show just in its whole concept. It's based on a novel that was published in 1983 that I had never heard of. So it's sort of strange that you would be working off a property that's that old. Uh, it was optioned at various points. At one point, it was supposed to be a, a movie that Heath Ledger was directing and then was going to star in with Ellen Page as the lead. So it's a, I don't know, it's an interest. It's interesting that this book, which I don't know and doesn't 
it, it maybe was popular in the time, but it, it really doesn't have like any cultural cachet right. now was passed down for so long. And then they decided to not make it a movie, which I feel like that they could have done and instead make it this series uh, and make it a limited series. Also, the way that it's constructed, it really does follow Anya Taylor-Joy's character, Beth Harmon, to the point where the other characters kind of like come and go from her life as they would in real life. This mm-hmm. isn't one of those shows where where there's like an ensemble cast of seven people or whatever, and they're all in all of the episodes. Like, I think she's the only one maybe who's in all of them. And the other characters kind of like pop in and out. Yeah. So it's really just focused on her because there's not even other plot lines to follow. Like there's mm-hmm. no side plots really. It's it. I mean, there's the main plot of her playing chess and then there's her relationships with other people, but you never get scenes that aren't related to her at all. Yeah. Uh, either. So it, yeah, it was a very, I was glad that I watched it and I was glad that this is the type of show that gets made. And I was also really glad that it's, so successful because I feel like this is the type of thing that usually I like and that usually I want more of. Hmm. I think that because of the election coverage, I was maybe not as invested. And then the other thing that I had an issue with, with this, which I'm interested to see if you had the same sort of barrier was just like in the game of chess itself. Like I know how to play chess. I played chess a lot growing up. And I don't really like I haven't played probably in like 10 years now at this point, but I know like the mechanics of it, how the pieces move and all of that kind of stuff. So it's like I could understand like how to play a chess game, but I feel like it's so cerebral and all of the moves and things they were talking about weren't stuff that I was aware of. Mm -hmm. So I felt like when I was watching the chess, like, yes, you're watching the pieces move around or whatever. Sometimes there's voiceover narration from someone or another. But it wasn't like when you watch a a movie that's like about a football game or about, I don't or like even poker where it's sort of like you can anticipate like, oh, this is like this is the crux of this moment. Like right. if the ball goes through the hoop, that's a point. If the ball misses, then that's not a point. And we need one point like these are the stakes with the chess matches. I felt like I was never sure other than like with the music cues. Like, is this close to being over? Is this not close to being over? Like, is one person doing better than the other? I had no sort of indication until, until you know, eventually the other person lost or she lost. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that that sort of also made it a little bit less impactful for me because all of the chess sequences, while they were sort of fun to watch and, and they were shot fun, and I like, you know, all the different pieces and the chess sets and all of that, there wasn't the same... Like, I wasn't as invested in the actual chess matches themselves because I couldn't understand what was happening. Yeah, I can see that. But I think what worked in and made it more interesting was that you weren't distracted by the mechanics of what was happening on the screen and you were very much tuned into the actors and their expressions and just like you Mm -hmm. you were forced to only care about what they were bringing to it instead of like oh wow is she gonna play that next or whatnot Mm -hmm. and I think that was one of the strong suits of this show is the mannerisms that each of these characters had to adopt from Beth Harmon's sort of I mean, she's an interesting character that we'll obviously talk about, but she she was very... I mean, the whole thing takes place during the Cold War era, so it's very much focused in a lot of ways on how she's not only a child prodigy, but she's a woman in a very 
in a very masculine field. Like she's mm-hmm. one of the only women players you see in the whole show and definitely the only one to get as far as she does. And, and she moves in a very like cat-like, like very feminine way as she plays her expression. She's always touching her face, her hair, her lips. And I think it was so interesting to watch those nuances as she was playing that you would get, you would start to clue in on how she was feeling based only on how her character has shown feelings through the show. And so Mm -hmm. I was more focused on like, Oh wait, her eyebrow went up. Like that means something bad. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. and similarly for these side characters, which you kind of get a feeling for other chess players um, that come and go throughout the show. Um, some that she befriends and some that are like, you know, she has this Bograf, the Soviet Union's chess star who only shows up once or twice and is sort of her her one challenger and she's determined to beat him. And um, all of them have different expressions, different tells. All of the actors talked about how they wanted to make sure that they had different fidgets and like, um, I think uh, Benny, who plays this like... Uh, New Yorker and uh, weird cowboy esque chess oh, yeah. player. That. He was like, I always wanted to be playing with my ring on my finger, and so I think that was what was interesting ultimately about the show at large was just how detail focused it was on things that went beyond just the chessboard itself. And I think mm-hmm. that is why it spoke and worked for so many different people, like audience wise, mm-hmm. because there was this attention on. Yeah, people aren't going to understand the plays that we're doing, so we still have to show the emotion and the tension, but we have to do it only through character. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. It's also all written and directed by the same person, which I thought worked really well because all of the visual cues and everything were like tied through. So if the actors were doing specific things, you knew that like he, the director understood them and could bring that to all the episodes. It wasn't like you had different people kind of doing different things. Mm -hmm. The part, I guess of like the plot lines, the plot line that I thought was the most interesting that I was the most fixated on was this plot line between her and her like adopted mother. She's adopted Mm -hmm. at like what age, like 13 or 14, I Mm -hmm. think. Um, by this woman who is in a marriage that has issues. Eventually, the father, the adopted father, will just, like, leave the family. Yeah. And she sort of becomes Beth's, like, manager almost. And she's, like, touring around with her, making money at these various chess tournaments. But you can tell that she's, like, deeply sad. She's an alcoholic. She has this weird romance with this pen pal that she has in Mexico. Mm -hmm. So I found all of the stuff with this mother character, who is played by Marielle Heller, who directed Mm -hmm. the... Who's, like, a... I didn't even realize that she was an actor. She directed that... um, Can You Ever Ever Forgive Me? me? And the Mr. Rogers movie that came out this past year, which I love both of them but so i thought that that plot line was really interesting and i really liked the relationship between the adopted mother and beth but then the mother dies i think at the end of the fourth episode and i was like oh okay well now that plot (laughs) is removed so i don't know it was a i i had it was a lot there were parts that i liked and parts i didn't like i feel like (laughs) i didn't really fully get like a grasp on like my read of this yeah yeah i mean i i can see that i think um it was sort of interesting to watch something that felt kind of disjointed in ways that we're mm-hmm. used to. Um, yes. Because it wasn't feeding us a pretty 
uh, I don't know, plot driven plot, I guess you'd say, because it because it did kind of there were highs and lows and weird, weird things that would happen. And then you wouldn't really address them until episodes later. And she had these relationships with different uh, guys she was meeting, different people she was meeting. So it definitely was kind of an interesting experience as an audience member to be like, this is something unusual. So I really have to <laughs> pay attention, you know, put my ah, phone down, mm-hmm. uh, you know, turn off the news, like see how this makes me feel overall. I do think it was interesting binge watching it because I watched like, you know, I was, I watched like I four think- episodes straight mm-hmm. in a row. And at times I was like, wow, this feels really long. Like they could have trimmed some of this. But then by the end of it, I was like, you know what? Every single moment looking back actually paid off in, in really impactful ways that I think it earned every single minute of its six hour run. I think that makes a lot of sense that you liked it more binging it. It felt to me like a movie that had been stretched out. Like the mm-hmm. way that the arcs worked, you could see this. It it felt similar to me as like the Curious Case of Benjamin Button sort of, where you're mm. following this one. I mean, in that there's the weird like he's aging backwards thing. Right, right. But it's like you're following one character along sort of through their life. And they're coming in contact with these weird and sort of very different people who mm-hmm. are there for only short periods of time. And then they like maybe pop up again later. But it was weird watching that as a TV series because that's not the mode that you're used to seeing that sort of plot play out in. And then it was also, I think, weird for me because I watched all of the episodes separately. Like I never I didn't watch like two back to back at Mm -hmm. all. So I think and then with the election and everything else sort of like (laughs) in between and going on, it was weird to watch like it sliced up in the way that it was. Whereas I think if I had watched it all like within a day or two, maybe I would have appreciated sort of like the the more overarching arcs instead of seeing it as like really chopped up. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Anya Taylor Joy with it because um Yeah. I I mean she's someone who's been on our radar. I <laughs> I just watched Emma, period. <laughs> and um obviously We've both seen the new mutants. Yeah, the new mutants. Uh, She started off in the U.S. at least with her debut in the the witch, which was that horror film that came out a Mm -hmm. few years ago. So she's very young. Love. She's very, she's very hot right now. She's in a lot that's that's come out, that's coming up, and um, people really loved her in this. Did you feel like it was it was good? Because you've seen almost everything she's done, I guess. I really like her a lot. I think she's a very good actress, and I thought that she did a very good job in this. I yeah. mean, honestly, I think given that the material in a lot of ways was sort of like slow, and you can imagine the book of this having a lot of really great inner monologue sort of things that she doesn't get to do, I thought that she conveyed a lot just sitting there moving chess pieces around. Mm-hmm. So I was really impressed with her. I thought she did a really good job. I feel like everything I've seen her in, I mean, even in New Mutants, where she's, <laughs> which is a not a great movie, she's and she's got this weird Russian accent. It's like, she has a presence to her. There's a certain, like, captivating force that even when she's not doing anything, you are, like, mesmerized. And I'm excited for her... Because up to this point, I guess Thoroughbreds is probably like the best thing that she, I feel like that she's mm-hmm. been in the, or the most uh, like the most awardsy maybe that she's right. been in the most serious stuff. 
because she's had a lot of either side character roles or has been in these like weird sci-fi things or horror or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, but she feels like an actress to me who, if they gave her some really meaty stuff that she could be a big, like awards threat moving Mm -hmm. forward. Cause I also am trying to think of other actresses who are in her age range, who have that sort of like, creepy sinisterness to them because I feel like when you think about like Saoirse Ronan or Emma Stone or there's a lot of those kind of more lead girl kind of more chipper Mm. sort of actresses but she definitely has a darkness to her that I think works in a lot of ways so I'm excited to see where she goes because I really like her as an actress yeah I think she carried this well um I I think the one qualm I had with the show was I was always very confused by, by what age she was. And mm-hmm. <laughs> she's mm-hmm. asked to start playing like in the first in the first episode, she's played by Isla Johnston, a child actor. And that's when she's her mom has died. She's at an orphanage and she learns to play chess with this custodian um, played by Bill Camp. And so that first episode, you have her as this child and then suddenly it fast forwards like four years. So she's 13 years old now and Anya Taylor Joy comes on the scene and, and I'm one to suspend belief. I really enjoyed little women. I think Florence Pugh managed to pull off a very similar feat where she had to play a 12 year old and then a 19 year old or something. And so I try to ignore reality in situations like that, but it was difficult because Anya Taylor-Joy has such a just stark features and she carries herself in such a unique way that it's hard to picture her as a scrawny 13-year-old kid who's being bullied by the mean girls at school. And then there were certain time jumps that I lost track of because it would tell us like the year sometimes, but I couldn't remember if she was 15 at this moment, if she was suddenly 17 and she grows up very fast in this world, partly because um, her adopted mother, Alma, starts to sort of introduce her to alcohol. And obviously a storyline is that as a child at the orphanage, she got hooked on benzos basically and is now sort of dabbling in that still um, to keep her edge down I guess and um, that was one thing that was hard and I think they tried to kind of um, manage it with like very obvious costume changes like like well, makeup and costume and hair looks that but, went to show the passing of time but I was confused by it <laughs> yeah I mean you could tell that she was definitely like in different she had different hairstyles or different types of clothing but it was hard to tell like what age she was supposed to be especially (laughs) because it's sort of like mad men era maybe clothing and to me it all like most of her outfits looked more adultish than kiddish Mm -hmm. so it's like if you told me that in the later parts of the the show she was 35 i believe you but also if you told me she was supposed to be 26 you know it's like it was hard to gauge what age range the whole thing was going for and if they would if they did something i mean even though they had the dates on there it's like i couldn't remember what the previous day was so it's not like i'm going to be sitting there with a calculator right uh yeah i thought that that was was strange that was hard too because her first like real entry into the chess world 
is when she is 13 or 14, after she's been adopted, she decides to enter her first competition and it's all men. And they're all like, what are you doing here? You don't, you're not even ranked. You've never done this. You don't even know how to play like with a clock and all these rules. And she encounters these men, (laughs) Mm -hmm. one of whom becomes sort of like she's enamored by. And he pops up throughout the the show i don't remember his name exactly but he looks like he's 40 years old <laughs> yeah towns i think oh, is yeah, his towns. name yes and he looks so old and so immediately it was like alarm bells went off for me where i was like this is gonna become a messy situation it's like, it's like an education <laughs> yeah yeah and so they do encounter each other again like later where i think she was meant to be 15 only but i think actually might have been closer to 17 18 but they still have this weird encounter in a hotel room and i was like am i supposed to be pro this because first of all he met when they were when she was a child and she still is and he still looks 30 years older than her (laughs) well but i think isn't the whole part of his plotline that he's gay yeah yeah. it turns out he is gay but it was still a very weird hotel moment because he's taking her photograph and she's very into him you can tell that and they did a good job of trying to show that maybe he wasn't as into her as she was into him right Uh uh-huh but he still kind of made this play at her and i was like and then he did have a partner show up in the room and i was like wait what is happening I mean, he's, like, adjusting her hair or whatever in that scene. I mean, he's, like, kneeling down next yeah. to her. Yeah. Very intimate. <laughs> but it's not... I don't know. It, it could have been yes. my own, my own but, trigger. Like, my own... Yeah. I mean, paranoia. I didn't really think anything... I mean... I if I, I was a little bit like, oh, is this romantic? But then the moment that the boyfriend okay, came in the okay. room or whatever, I was like, okay, well, clearly this isn't what that is. But I, but I do also... I was also confused at the ages so much that I feel like it was I was less triggered by the age thing because I was just so confused as to what age anybody was that I was like, oh, these are two like clearly both of these actors are like 28. So (laughs) it was. And in the last episode, he does show up and he is like. I I wanted to be your friend. Like, I wish I could have explained things to you. And she's like, I wish I had let you. And yes. he does make some comment that was sort of like, but there was a, I was confused. And it's like, okay, everyone in this show does fall in love with her. And I guess I get it because she's gorgeous and she has beautiful eyes and wonderful clothes. But well, isn't there that scene with the two of them with it, like on the couch that's it later, that's after the scene in the, that's after the scene in the, in the, the with the, photography uh-huh. that's where he sort of like is like yeah like this isn't right yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like he tells her no but then he can't really like say why right yeah it was very subtle and um it was just something that reminded me of, honestly like, I have no lucky idea that i picked up on that because i could have been <laughs> not on my phone so yeah but then similarly she does end up hooking up with the guy she beats at 13 who comes back into her life because he He's, he's oh, Dudley, by Dudley Dursley. Dursley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of he was the state champion. She beats him in her first in her first game, her first run. And um, then years later, he comes back into her life, clearly trying to get with her because I guess he's been tracking her career and thinks she's hot now. And he fixed his teeth for her, which is like, whatever, dude, like you're being weird. She doesn't owe you anything. All of the guys <laughs> in this. I mean, the the photographer guy i was fine with yeah. but both 
Dudley Dursley and the other guy who is played by um, Thomas Brody Sangster, mm-hmm. who who was uh, Jojen Reed in Game of Thrones. Both of them I just found so creepy and weird, probably <laughs> in a very realistic, like these two do look like they could be chess champions yeah. kind of ways. But she is so much more attractive and so much more <laughs> poised and put together than both of them that the romance and the romance with the romance in the whole show is is not particularly romantic it's sort of yeah. just like uh, like you know that they're in a relationship but there aren't sort of like meet cutie kind of scenes or any scenes where you're even really invested in the romance <laughs> of it so with both of those relationships i was like i don't like this i don't care about this and these guys are creepy like no thank you the fact that she sort of ends up without i i mean like not romantically involved with either of them i liked that yeah. part because i i feel like the show either needed to pick somebody and have that be the love interest or not uh and this was left me sort of feeling icky in various spots yeah no i really liked it all because i think i mean i think one thing that really worked well is obviously you're you're in there with beth most of the time like you're you're with her as she's a kid who's been traumatized by this accident who that leaves her orphaned and now she's at an orphanage that's that's sedating the children and she's trying to figure life out but is obviously like traumatized to a point that she's removed herself from the moment without even realizing it she finds this new passion and she and she the whole show is about her trying to like figure out how to be happy in her life um Mm -hmm. as she struggles with this gift that usually comes at a cost and that's often addressed by different people in her life and i think that is what i really appreciated about this show was how they never like sacrificed her femininity or individuality to kind of play into this idea of the tortured artist and like you know they could have made her very snobby and like really cold and just like you know that like brutal genius type but instead she was always into fashion she was always into pretty things she wanted to she she was very aware of her feminine wiles she always like styled herself very well and like it was just little things throughout the show where it was like she never had to give up being a woman to be taken seriously in this world mm-hmm. or to take herself seriously in the world. And that applied to these relationships with men because she's obviously only seen pretty toxic relationships as far as her dad kind of abandoned her in like as a child. And then her adopted father leaves her adopted mother in a really rude kind of way and then yeah and then tries to steal the house from her (laughs) yeah and then she does have these encounters with these guys where she realizes that she's not even like that into them but she feels like she feels like oh i guess i'll just go along with this and like and i think that was most telling with the um the belt nick the the dudley dursley storyline and then with benny she does want something more but he's not communicating what she needs and seems solely focused on their chess relationship and so she also he lives in the grossest apartment (laughs) that i have ever seen but don't you appreciate that the realism of like instead of him having this bougie oh i do (laughs) i do i was like this is an apartment that definitely people in new york actually own it's not like a gorgeous loft (laughs) that you know the communications intern has (laughs) but yeah just the his whole vibe i (laughs) 
<laughs> you weren't into I, it. I, I, uh, I have a soft spot for him. I think it's just mesmerizing to me that he's actually 30 in, in real life because he just has such a baby face. Like he's famously from Love Actually and barely looks like he's aged a day. And yeah. he was in my favorite Maze Runners. So <laughs> he, But soft in spot. this, he looked like strung out, yeah, I felt. They tried to make him look edgy. His facial older. hair is nasty yeah. and it's like he looks... He looks gaunt and sort of sickly almost. But I mean, maybe I will because he's say, just in a basement all the time yeah, of this creepy apartment. Chess. But but I really liked how these guys didn't end up saving her. Like, yes, they were concerned about her. A lot of them often addressed her addiction and her drinking and mm-hmm. all this. But it wasn't like she she needed picked up by these dudes. It ended up being her best friend from the orphanage, Jolene, who's played by um this newcomer Moses Ingram, who was just a delight. I absolutely loved her. I oh was yeah, so she glad was great. She showed back up in the in the show because you kind of lose track of her once she leaves the orphanage. But I just like obviously the feminine like girl power all spoke to me. But then I also just appreciated that these guys all respected her and they never resented yes. her. And in the end, like I got really emotional because like. At the end, she's in Russia. She's facing off the Soviets who are just unbeatable. And she slowly realizes that she does have this support group and she doesn't need like the alcohol and booze because it's it wasn't like what was making her great. She was always just going to be great. And mm-hmm. then she does. She gets this phone call and all the guys, all these chess players from her last like seven years or whatever are all in the room and they're helping her strategize and they're telling her she's got this and they're just waiting on bated breath because they know that she is the best and they're not like jealous or like I could have been there, or, like whatever mm-hmm. that they could have done. It was all just like, yeah, we're here for you and you got this girl. And I was like, yes, yeah, she does. Like, <laughs> I love this so much. <laughs> I did. I did feel oddly emotional in that scene. I also felt emotional in the scene previous to that where she's playing chess against the old yes. champion and he's sort of like passing the mantle on to her and she's telling him how much like she studied his game. Then he's like, oh, I've studied your games. Like, so yes. I... Yes, there were moments. There were moments (laughs) in this that I was into. Yeah, and it all made me curious because, like, when you think about it, this was written by a man in the 80s. Like, I'm really curious, like, what the source material was. Like, if if she was this strong, if the guys were, like, this unfragile. Because... This storyline, if you presented it to me, I would have been like, oh, yeah, I bet all the guys are like loser defensive, like macho sexists Mm -hmm. who just hate her and and make her life miserable. And she has to like become tough and and bitter and like really push her way to break that glass ceiling. But instead, this this was really filled with a lot of like soft emotional relationships that I thought worked well. The Wikipedia page says that about the book says it covers themes of feminism chess drug addiction and alcoholism and it's like i mean it, the original it looks like the plot is similar yeah um and that the reception of the book was good I, he the author was a chess player like yeah. a you know competitive chess player so i think that all of that is accurate i don't know i mean it does feel like this is the exact type of book that would have been terrible in the 80s. But maybe the reason why people wanted to keep making it is because it was 
a standout. Yeah. In some yeah, way. I think I it I think that's what worked ultimately for this show is that it could have been really dry, it could have been really boring, or it could have been really over dramatic and like melodramatic and histrionic and theatrical. And instead they found this sweet spot where it was just like you just were along for the ride with this girl's life as she tried to sort through her mess. And that was ultimately something I think that's relatable to a lot of people who aren't child prodigies, who aren't chess geniuses, who don't have this like passion pushing them forward, but who still need to find ways to, to pick themselves up and like carry on. And I think that that was what resonated with people, at least that I've talked to is just not only how entertaining this show managed to make chess, but how humanizing it was towards characters who otherwise could have been total tropes. Did you are did you play chess growing up? Are you a chess player at all? I mean, I've I've played, not like in any sort of. <laughs> mm-hmm. It wasn't like a club or competitive at all, but it was a game that was in our house. So I, mm-hmm. it was familiar enough to me that I was like, oh yeah, the knight goes like that, and the bishop goes like that. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was fun to like see something. Yeah, just to watch someone be good at something, I think is always an interest. I mean, that's why we always have movies like this is because it's just such a, it's something where I'm just like, what would it be like to be that good at something and to that be that passionate about something? And also to think about the fact that this world exists, like there are people who care about chess and like, so often we just write off things that don't fit this like <laughs> pop culture narrative, but this is a, this is a huge deal and like people care about this and it's cool that there's like these niche little worlds that exist that we don't always contemplate. The most unbelievable part of this entire show is that the local drugstore in whatever town she grows up in carries chess review magazine <laughs> that she can just always go and get that. I was like, there's not a chance in hell that this place carries that. Like, that's one of those magazines that you would have to wander around New York City and go to like 10 different stores before you were able to find some place that had a time, copy. though, you know, it was like, who knows? Even st- <laughs> there were other magazines then. Yeah. There, there are probably more magazines then than there are now. There's no way that weird Ohio or wherever she was from that they were having the chess magazine in a little drugstore. Yeah. But I just thought, I mean, ultimately, it was just like, like I said, for some of the episodes, I was like, this is long. Like, what are they going to do? We know she's going to win, like, blah, blah, blah. But I really just like loved the finale, like the last two where she kind of gets these like moments of clarity, like especially as Mm -hmm. she um, she travels back to the orphanage and realizes that her her sort of um father figure at that space the guy who taught her chess had been following Uh her career along the whole time and had like all the clippings and the newspapers and then she reconnects with jolene who was also like i'm not just here as like a magical guardian angel like i've been your family like we just lost track of each other but we're here for each other now Mm -hmm. and i just thought the show did such an interesting job of wrapping it all up and especially just like that closing scene where she's won, she's victorious, and she just decides to go and, and meet all the old guys in the park playing chess, and they're just so happy to see her, and then she sits down to play a chess game with them, and I don't know oh, why, but it was okay, so Okay, Shelby, uh, Shelby, it's time for intervention. This is getting too much. Like, you need to calm down. Uh, dear You Lord. have to have liked that. It was little old men. I, like, I, I did. I did. 
okay, I don't know about that, but sure. You know, I like I liked it fine. The ending was good. The ending, yeah. the show was good. The show is good. I'd say it's an. I mean, it's a now. It's a later. You know, it's. Uh, I thought it was good. If you're into this, if this feels like it's your vibe, then you might as well check it out. Um, <laughs> but I will say, even if you don't think it's your vibe, you should check it out because I I think it surprises people. Well, the, Emily in Paris is also sitting right there, which <laughs> yeah. I think, you this know, is superior. You're in looking every for something. Single way you can imagine to Emily in Paris. Um. Uh, it's longer than Emily in Paris. <laughs> Emily in Paris is shorter episodes. Emily in oh, Paris has fun Emily social Paris. media gaffes. Emily in Paris. No, this is this was a delight and a really great character study. So, lightning round questions? Sure. What do you what did you manage to think of? <laughs> What's your favorite chess piece, Shelby? <laughs> <laughs> Mine's the bishop. <laughs> I always, I always thought the knight was dope, but you would, you would be one of those people yeah. who like the knight. Yeah. How embarrassing! Is that really your? That's really your question. I mean, <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, it's fine, uh, rude. it's fine. What would be the best part of living in the Cold War era? Would it be the bougie airplane food that they got? Even just the whole airplane experience. The best part of living in the Cold War era is that if you had anybody you didn't like, you could just tell the government that they were communists and they get carted off somewhere. Okay. Or was it the fact that a whole house cost $7,000? Well, also that, yes. Although, how much money was she making for things as well, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that was another question I had was just how she had so much money saved. Because, I mean, the prize money, I guess, yeah, I guess I'd have to look at the financial. Yeah, she does go to a lot of tournaments and gets a lot of prize money. So, I guess there's that. Her the airplane travel did look nice though. I was thinking at one point she was sort of like curled up in a seat, and I, I was know. like, "Oh, well, that's not doable anymore because yeah. you're just wedged in the we've got wedged go in the back. Make flying great again, you know." I mean, honestly, the the time the first time I flew during COVID, it was nice. There was no one in the airport. There was hardly en- there was <laughs> like not ten of us anymore. on the entire plane. I know when I flew back from Florida, I was like, Ugh, "This is getting dicey, y'all. There's a lot of people. <laughs> Some of you guys need to stay at home." Yeah. And I can only imagine what it's going to be like for the holidays. But uh, did you have a specific thing about the Cold War that you wanted to bring into your life? I think I I think the the airplane situation ultimately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Though it would be nice to, to buy a house for $7,000. If you had to try to make money off your child, what would you do in order to get them to make money for you? <laughs> well, doesn't that depend on what my child's good at? Well, but like, let's just say, like, you know, you have to make a game plan now. Like, what's the first thing you're trying them out at? Let's think about this. I've never, I don't have an athletic bone in my body, so I doubt the odds are in their favor. I guess I would try, um, you know, child acting. Or like I said, I really think there's an opportunity for a referee. Like, I just, I really think... This, that is the most deranged take that I have. The, your obsession, your newfounded obsession with the referees. It's not newfounded, no, thank you. it's just newly admitted. It's weird. weird. No, this is what you do. I think that there is a big boom right now in the sort of child entrepreneur space. Like, you basically come up with the idea of for some company, but you have your kid be the one who's like, I started a company, blah, blah, blah. And Name that looks company. really good on social media. Name one. 
I feel like on Good Morning America, they're <laughs> always it's like kid launched something or another. Like come up with some come up with a with a weird like cookie something and yeah. call it like Kayla's cookies and that's the kid and stick their <laughs> image image all over everything. But actually you're the one who's running the business. That's a lot of work. That's I mean, yeah, but that's how you get the money. But the joy of having a child to make money off of is that you don't have to do the work. Yeah, but no, you still have to drive them to practices yeah. and berate them into being good at dancing or whatever. Okay, okay. Here's my question. If you were to become a child prodigy based off of a game you were good at when you were a child, what game would it be? Oh, okay. Yes. I also had the same question. Uh, game that I was good at as a child. I mean, my favorite game as a child was probably Clue, but I don't know oh exactly gosh. how much that's talent that has. That's I said. <laughs> We could have met well, at a Clue tournament and I would have oh, trashed my. you. And then you would have found me years later and said, I respect you. You're the best I've ever played against. And I would have been like, I know. Look, I've seen pictures of both of us as a child. <laughs> Neither That would have been a disaster either way. No, no one would have. Ugh, yeah. uh, <laughs> but I was going to say that I think that my true talents in board games came later when I realized that I was very good at sort of the like charade kind of like mm. shouting taboo kind of games mm, yes. so i'm much better at those than i ever was at clue but i don't think i really knew that when i was like do 10. you think there's a correlation or a causation between people who are good at or enjoy or joy charades and people who go into improv comedy are you trying to say that people who do charades are annoying? Is that what you're trying to say? I feel like that's what you're getting at. I didn't say it. I didn't say anything. I was asking for your um, you know, your uh, expert opinion. I would on the say matter. this. I am a am I a showman? Yes. <laughs> so am I good at games that involve sort of like making a fool out of yourself? Yeah. Absolutely. That's also why we have a podcast, Shelby, have for you that heard specific of reason. The game Blockbuster. No, what's that? Oh my gosh, it is so fun. It's a movie trivia game and it's only movies that like it, it's like basically you have to either act out or do a quote or a single word from a movie to get your teammate to guess what movie you're describing and then you have to oh, collect okay. a certain amount of movie cards to win. And it is it is so fun. It's so good. And is this I, like an actual game you buy, or is yeah, this like yeah. a game it's where like you're a, at a party and you're like write things down on a piece of paper or whatever? No, I mean it's basically based off of celebrity or whatever. But okay. it's an actual mm-hmm. game, and they have like all these different movies and different genres, and it you have different side ga- side <laughs> side things you have to do. It's fun. It's fun. It's hard to find people who are good at it though, because you really have to know a lot of movies, and. Um, I haven't right. been able to find a lot of people who know that. So next time you're in town, we'll play that. Okay. And we'll see who's the real prodigy. Yeah. I mean, we we are well aware that my movie knowledge is is That's for true. very specific time periods. And I feel like you that would definitely be do better. Oh, yeah. Man. If it was like if it was like movies that have came out since 2000, I would be great. But yeah. if we're going to, you know, it's stumble so back into the 90s yeah. and 80s, it might be a rough go. Dang it. Still on the lookout for people to play it with then. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, this has honestly gone much longer than I thought this episode was. Oh, gonna you be. mean I because didn't you didn't watch the show? On. Yeah, sorry, I had to carry this one on my own. I w- technically the show was playing <laughs> while I had my headphones up, in. Honestly, I did. I the show was 
was there in the room with me. However, yeah. was I also on 538 <laughs> refreshing and reading blog posts? Yeah. Perhaps. Oh, uh, well. Well, I hope people found this educational and history will decide who they uh, follow. I guess we'll probably get a review or an email saying whether or not they agree with you or me or who was wrong or whatever it is. But... Yeah, leave us a review, follow us on social media, and everybody, we are back next week with my special birthday episode. We are, I think that's next week. Isn't it next week? It's my last week. It's next week. It's, I know, and it's Shelby's last week before maternity leave. So everyone get excited. We're talking about (laughs) Tom Cruise and all of Tom Cruise's movies. It's going to be wild because he is a character and his movies are. Very good and very yes. bad. And there's so much to discuss. And it will be Shelby send off. And then it'll and then it'll just be me and, you know, <laughs> random people for a while until Shelby decides yeah. she's up to it. You know what? If you would like to apply to be my replacement co-host, send the DM to me and I will decide who Matt gets to talk with. <laughs> Shelby will be in a hospital somewhere and will have no say in yeah. anything that goes on. I will be I will have you, full brain. Think new mothers are in the hospital. Like, what do you think happens when a child is? Who knows? Who knows, Shelby? <laughs> Who knows? I know nothing okay. about this. Um, well, I'll be here next week at least. So, yes. Okay. Well, I mean, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> the baby could come early. Could just be me talking about Tom Cruise. No, yeah. next week is the one episode that I need you for, and then you can be gone for okay. as long as okay. you want. Okay. Um. Okay. Well, I will see you all next week, and yeah. Okay. See y'all next week. Bye.